In the name of the one holy and living God. So have you ever heard of the term starshine? It's new to me. It's the way that stars twinkle, the shine they put off, that little twinkly up there, kind of like moonshine, not the drink. And we have sunshine. The whole universe, day, sunshine, night, moonshine, starshine. And this morning, as a professor of mine used to say, this morning is about Jesus on the mountain, God shine. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. God shine. I remember somebody in Bible study years ago exclaiming when we were studying this passage, brighter than the brightest tide. (laughs) Nothing so white. So what happens when we behold that kind of glory, that brightness? I mean, with that brightness, the disciples see not only Jesus, but Elijah and Moses there. And Peter's first instinct in seeing this is blurting out, let's do something. Let's, let's make a dwelling for you, Jesus, and Elijah and Moses. But then we're told right after that in the gospel that he did not know what to say because he was terrified. How do we handle glory? How do we respond to the awesomeness that we may taste in one moment, maybe one feeling, one experience of God? Do we jump into doing something? And then how would we respond to the even more mind-blowing moment that follows when the disciples are overcome with this cloud and this voice that comes out saying, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Our instinct is often to get into action, and that instinct, while admirable sometimes, can also squelch and push, push aside the ability to absorb what's happened. What is it like to experience that much, much awe, that love, that power so much greater than us? So we sometimes want to just manage it. Like Peter, let, let's make a dwelling. Let's package this up because it is so awesome. I want to be able to get there all the time. I want a place that I can go back to to tap into this awesomeness that's predictable, that's reliable, a way to plug into God shine whenever we want. But the reality is we can't control the light. We can't control God. We can't predictably create spaces and places where we will always feel that awesomeness, where we will always be able to plug in. The reality is, if you've ever had an experience, probably not as dramatic as these disciples on the mountain, but ever had an experience of being overwhelmed by God's love, by being touched by God's love, even just a little spark. If you've ever had that, you know that that experience doesn't last. And it won't last. 
And we come down the mountain just like Jesus leads the disciples down the mountain into the world. And in this case, Jesus, after essentially having turned down, having a little home up there, in this case, he leads the disciples into Jerusalem where he will be put to death. We're at this pivot point in Mark's gospel of everything leading up the mountain, in a sense, has been Jesus' ministry in Galilee. He's been healing people. There have been miracles, a massive feeding of people. And now at the top of the mountain, there's this incredible revelation, this incredible affirmation that Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. But now, after all that ministry, is the rest of the story. The story of going back into the world, taking that light, walking with that light who is Jesus into the world, into his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. They are walking back down with Jesus into the heart of suffering, into oppression, into the horrible ways humans abuse one another, horrible ways we create systems in this world that harm and dehumanize each other. It's kind of befuddling that in coming down the mountain, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone what you just saw. You would think he'd say, hey, you're coming down, you've seen this amazing thing, go spread the light, make everyone feel good. But no, he says, don't tell anyone until I'm risen, until the Son of Man is risen. Now there is oodles of scholarship on this Mark in secret. Why is it that in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus keeps saying, don't tell anybody? And the consensus pretty much is that we can't fully know who Jesus is. We can't fully know God's presence in the world until he is put to death, until he rises again, until there is new life. And that that needs to be a secret so we can see the fullness of it. But I wonder, I wonder if part of it, part of this instruction not to tell anyone after this amazing God-shine moment, what if part of it is an invitation to ponder what they've experienced? To not jump into action, not go and tell everybody, but to sit with it, to absorb it, take it in, mull it around, let it work on your heart, because ultimately it is not containable or understandable. There's another professor of New Testament who's been teaching for years and years, and I heard him recently confess that even after preaching on this passage over and over in all the transfiguration passages in the different gospels, and even teaching on them, that he fundamentally can't make sense of it that he feels inadequate to put it into words. Maybe that's part of the point. God's enormity. And Jesus asking Peter and James and John to ponder. Perhaps it's following up on what the voice in the cloud said. Listen to him. 
not jump into action, but listen to him. Walk with him to the cross. Walk into the death of this world and walk into resurrection with eyes open, with hearts open, with ears open. Because in walking down with Jesus into the world, they are essentially walking with God. And there's a new revelation in that in a sense that there is no separation from God being only up there and us being down here. But that God is with us in the down here, in the chaos and the pain. God beyond description, God beyond any containment. And what's beautiful is these disciples do follow, but yet in following, all three of them end up to betraying Jesus. Just like us, we forget about the experience or we don't trust the experience we have. We don't trust that love or that draw we have. And yet God loves them. And yet after his death and resurrection, they all become apostles and go out and spread the word. It's perhaps our job, so to speak, is to listen to him, to hold the glory, those moments of glory that may be fleeting and that may just be an instinct or a pull, to hold those, to ponder those, those moments of momentary transcendence or big moments. When I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, I was part of a conversation with a few people who didn't know I was a priest and actually didn't even know I went to church. And the conversation got to this point of discussing, why is it that people go to church? And they came to the consensus that it's because, you know, those poor people who do, they just need some comfort. They can't get enough comfort on their own. Like, yeah, we come for comfort. Whereas somebody at the 8 o'clock service reminded me that in Latin, the Latin root of the word comfort is to strengthen greatly. So yeah, coming to church, we want to be strengthened greatly. But it is so much bigger than that. We are here because of the God shine. We are here because of the great light. We are here because something has moved in our hearts. Something that knows that there is a power greater than us there. This power of God that can't be contained, a power that can transform, a power of justice, a power of love. We're at a time right now that, just like the pivot from the ministry in Galilee to the walk to the cross, we are pivoting in the church calendar from Christmas and Epiphany and the proclamation of the light to Lent and to Holy Week and ultimately to Easter. So in this pivot point, perhaps we're invited this morning from the gospel to listen, to ponder the awesomeness and then bring that awesomeness into the suffering of the world, to bring that into whatever we're facing whatever the people around us are facing. To let that God shine, shine in our hearts, or at least lead us through the next best action, the next steps we need to take. Let us walk together 
down the mountain, listening to Jesus and rejoicing in our hearts that there is powerful God shining. Amen.